Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 578 for the 4th of February, 2018. This week, Google continues to improve its online suite of Office applications. Maybe you've wondered if the free apps could replace Microsoft's suite, or WordPerfect's, or one of the open source suites. So let's take a look. In short circuits, Microsoft makes another emergency patch available, but it's not being pushed out to everyone, and you might not need it. Sometimes the Windows volume control stops working, but there's a quick and easy way to restore proper operation. Your computer sends data to Microsoft for diagnostic purposes. A new Windows app will provide insight into what is sent, and you'll have more control. In spare parts, only on the website, artificial intelligence continues to expand. The current hotspot is customer relations, but internal management functions are next. GoDaddy is acquiring a company that will provide branding assistance for the company's 17 million users. And the internet now has 4 billion users worldwide. About 80% use some sort of social media. In the early days of word processing, dozens of applications vied for the top position. WordStar was the first big winner, replaced by WordPerfect and then eventually by Microsoft Word. Today, Microsoft has most of the Office suite market, most of it, followed by Google's WordPerfect Office suite, OpenOffice, and LibreOffice. But there's also an online challenger, Google Docs. Could Google be the winner? One of the main advantages of Google's apps is that they can be used on any computing device with a browser, while the others can be installed only on Windows and Mac OS computers, or for OpenOffice and LibreOffice, also on Linux computers. Apps exist that provide limited support for Microsoft Office on smartphones running Android and iOS operating systems, and although Google's apps can run on most devices, they cannot be run on Windows-based phones. That includes BlackBerry. The primary issue has to be whether the apps in Google's suite have the capabilities that are common to locally installed applications. And the answer is a resounding maybe. As with so many other things, it depends on what you need. If cost is the primary consideration, Google wins. Most users will pay nothing or will pay only a small fee for Google Drive storage if you exceed the 15 gigabytes that Google provides without charge. If you need more, 100 gigabytes cost about $24 a year. Google says their most popular plan is the $10 a month, one terabyte plan. Most users will pay nothing for the Office suite itself. Business users will need the G Suite. That's about $5 to $25 per month per user. Microsoft Office users can purchase a perpetual license for $150 or choose the rental plan, $100 per year for up to five computers. Google's applications are all online, and you can't use them unless the computer has an internet connection. 
And there are some workarounds, though. First, the files on your Google Drive will also be stored locally, so you can get to them. And there are ways to download the apps for use on a local machine. PC Magazine describes the process. There's a link to a 2015 article from PC Magazine on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And there's this. Using online applications is more complicated than using applications that have been installed on the computer. I occasionally see synchronization delays, and about one-third of the problem reports Google receives deals with apps not loading properly. If simplicity and ease of use are your primary concerns, well, then the Microsoft Office Suite is probably the right choice. Those who work with others on documents should take a look at Google's suite. Microsoft has improved the Office Suite's collaboration functions, but Google is the winner here because files are stored in the cloud and multiple users can be given permissions to view a document or to view it and edit it. Google's Office applications include Docs, a word processor, Sheets, a spreadsheet, and Slides, which is presentation graphics. Google Mail, Calendar, and Tasks combined are not exactly the equivalent to Outlook, and there's no database management tool such as Microsoft Access. So be sure to consider the significance of Outlook's missing features in the Google Apps and the inability to manage a relational database. Most people in the small office home office environment won't need Outlook and an Exchange server. Gmail, or any other email client that connects to your Internet service provider's email service or your website hosting service's email, will be sufficient. Likewise, the need for a relational database is probably not a deal killer, because the Google Sheets application is a satisfactory flat file data manager. A relational database contains multiple tables of data that relate to each other through key fields. They are essential for applications such as customer and sales databases, where one table would contain customer information, another would contain order information, and yet another would contain order details. In a simple relational database like that with just three tables, customer records would be linked to sales records using a customer number, and order details would be linked to the orders table using an order number. A typical flat file, on the other hand, might be simply a list of names and addresses. Using the Google Apps means you don't have to buy, download, and install an Office suite. Instead, users just open Docs or Sheets or Slides from any computer by logging on to Google Drive's website and opening an existing document or creating a new one. There actually are two options. You can either start at drive.google.com or go directly to docs.google.com. Many online applications automatically save new documents, and the Google applications do exactly that. Once you've named a document, you can share it with others, the document then will be associated with your Gmail account, and if you have more than one account, you can choose which one to associate it with from a drop-down menu. So for this comparison, I'm assuming the user doesn't need a database application or an email calendar contact task application. The user's needs will be satisfied by a word processor, a spreadsheet, and presentation applications so the comparisons need to consider Word versus Docs, Excel versus Sheets, and PowerPoint versus Slides. Let's start with Docs versus Word. 
The Word is part of Microsoft Office 365. It does include an online version that's sort of kind of like the computer-based version. Although Word Online is acceptable for casual use, it omits many features and it is incapable of handling large documents. Fortunately, most people don't deal with huge documents and the supported size will depend somewhat on your connection speed. Word Online documents can contain up to 100 million characters. Now that'd be about 80,000 pages of text. The connection speed is a factor here because the download will time out if it doesn't complete in 60 seconds. So those with a fast connection won't have a problem, but those who occasionally use dial-up connections might. You also may be surprised to find that Word Online can't open a rich text format file. And there are other significant differences and shortcomings between Word and Word Online. So if you're looking for an online solution, Google Docs is definitely the better choice. As provided by Google, Google Docs is a primitive word processor. Users are limited to styles for normal text, title, subtitle, and six level of headings. And you can't add more without installing an add-on. By default, Word has dozens of paragraph styles, but adding the Paragraph Styles Plus add-on makes it possible to create new paragraph styles in the Google application. But the capabilities are still severely limited when compared to Word. And in fact, that's one of many reasons I'm delighted not to be a Microsoft product manager. When Word was released 35 years ago for DOS, it was a basic word processor. Since 1983, Microsoft has listened to users clamor for more features while simultaneously grumbling about bloated software. We can't have it both ways. Either we have complex, bloated, highly customizable, and fully featured applications like today's version of Word, or we have simple, fast, basic, limited applications like WordPad. Word does far more than any one user needs it to, but every feature in the program is important to somebody. In some ways, Google Docs with a bunch of add-ons is the better way. We start with a basic word processor and then install plugins that add the features we want. In fact, that's exactly what some WordPerfect software engineers were talking about in 1999 or 2000. Some add-ins, in fact most of them, are free. Others require a payment. Users can add options to insert accented letters, translate text, send faxes, add charts, create a table of contents, add typefaces, create labels, format more extensive tables than Docs allows natively, find rhymes, format screenplays, and more. And all of those that I've listed are either free or have a free trial. And you'll find dozens, maybe hundreds, of options in the add-ons directory. And some unexpected good news, plugins added to one browser on one computer show up consistently if you use another browser or another computer. So you need to install the extensions only once. Moving on to Sheets versus Excel, Excel has 461 functions. And no, I did not count them all. I depended on the opinion of people who do count things like that. As a result, Excel is capable of performing nearly any calculation or data manipulation that any user can think of. 
Some of the functions are difficult to use. Nested if statements, yeah, I'm looking at you. But the simple fact is that you'll find trig functions, financial calculations, engineering calculations, the ability to look up one value based on another, statistical functions, date and time calculations, logic branching, and a lot more. Google Sheets has a little over 400 functions. Close, but no cigar. The function count is close, and the ones that are missing are specialized functions that few people need. Still, if a function you need is one of the 50 or so that's missing, Google Sheets could be a problem for you. On the other hand, collaboration is still easier with Google's suite than with Microsoft's. And I've noticed that entering the wrong kind of data in a cell can destroy the cell's formatting. That's really strange. In a Sheets file that has a column for time values, I occasionally mistakenly enter text. The time is formatted using a 24-hour clock, so it has leading zeros. 7.30 a.m. is represented as 07,30. If I mistype a letter into the field and then correct the entry by typing the time, the leading zero isn't shown, even if I type it. To get it back, I have to copy and paste another cell or use the Format Painter. This isn't necessary in Excel. And when compared to Excel, Google Sheets has what looks like significant size limitations. The Google Spreadsheet can have, at most, 2 million cells. Excel, however, allows 1,048,567 rows and 16,384 columns. If my math is correct, that would come out to be about 275 million cells. The difference looks substantial. In fact, it looks huge. But how many people need more than 1 million cells in a spreadsheet? And if you have 1 million cells, you still have another million to go before you exhaust the Google spreadsheet. The third comparison, slides versus PowerPoint. PowerPoint is complex. As one who has spent some time teaching others how to use PowerPoint, I still sometimes have trouble making the application do what I want it to do. Those who are looking for a somewhat simpler option will find Google Slides to be a good fit. And as with the other applications, collaboration is generally easier with Slides than with PowerPoint. As with other Microsoft applications, collaboration has improved greatly in recent releases, and those who are PowerPoint Power users will miss PowerPoint's high-end features if they choose Slides. When it comes to collaboration, Google exceeds expectations. Google says that PowerPoint has two sharing levels, View and Edit, while Slides has four, View Only, Edit, Add Comments, and All Access, the owner in other words. Realistically, though, PowerPoint presentations have an implied owner with all access, so the main difference is that Google Slides offers an option to have collaborators who can add comments without being able to make any changes to the slides. Google also offers more options for sharing the presentation. The creator can make the presentation globally visible to anyone who has the link, only to a list of specific users, publicly on the web and searchable, and several other options for those who use the paid G Suite version. The templates provided with Google Slides are primitive and disappointing, particularly when compared to those available for Microsoft. 
Corporate users who must follow a color scheme specified by the Business Communications Department will find that the basic color schemes cannot be changed to match your company's specifications. Typefaces are also limited, as are annotations, transitions, and 3D effects. Professional presenters will tell you that fancy effects often detract from the message anyway, so maybe the absence of those features isn't a big problem. As with the other applications when compared to Microsoft's, it is important to understand your own needs before you select one or the other, or both. Some people use Slides and the other Google applications when they fit the needs of the project at hand. And there perhaps is an aha moment. Earlier I mentioned using Google Sheets to record some information. It is health-related information that I like to share with my doctor. Using Google Sheets makes the information available on my phone and also on a tablet if a Wi-Fi signal is available. For more complex spreadsheet needs, I use Excel. So even if you pay $100 a year to have Microsoft's Office Suite on up to five computers, sometimes it makes sense to use Google's applications. And the good news is that most Microsoft documents can be opened in Google's apps and vice versa. So pick the app that suits your needs. In Short Circuits, we have another emergency patch from Microsoft, but you may not need it. Because of the Intel hardware flaw that makes data stored in a computer's memory vulnerable, a botched firmware update, and the initial disastrous patch released by Microsoft, the company has now issued a second out-of-band security update. It is not being distributed automatically, and you might want to ignore it for now. Microsoft has placed the patch in its Windows Update catalog. That means anybody who wants it will be able to download it and install it manually. Intel's flawed firmware update combined with Microsoft's operating system update causes some machines to repeatedly reboot. If your computer has been affected by Intel's buggy firmware updates, you'll need this patch from Microsoft. It's for Windows 7, Windows 8.1, and Windows 10 systems. It will disable protection against Spectre Variant 2. If you haven't updated your computer's firmware yet, don't. Intel says users should wait until properly tested updates are available. Microsoft says that its internal tests indicate that the new update does stop the reboot problem if you've already updated your firmware. Microsoft has also created a new registry key for computers that are affected so the IT administrators can manually enable or disable the protection for Spectre Variant 2. Intel has admitted to investors that its security updates have flaws that cause some systems to spontaneously reboot. In a recent report to investors, Intel said the updates could lead to data loss or corruption. Intel didn't mention it, but I will. The updates could also lead to significant legal exposure for Intel. Intel says that it now knows what causes the repeated reboots on computers with Broadwell and Haswell processors. Ivy Bridge, Sandy Bridge, Skylake, and Kaby Lake processors are also affected. 
but Intel hasn't yet determined where the problem is. There's no indication when functional firmware updates will be released. Probably your keyboard has three keys that control the computer's speaker volume, mute, volume up, and volume down. There's also a speaker icon in the notification area. Sometimes none of them respond. By this, I mean the speaker icon is present in the notification area, but clicking it has no effect at all. The keys on the keyboard may require that you also press a separate function key or flip a function switch from normal mode to computer control mode, but even if you do everything right, the volume control does not work. Rebooting doesn't fix the problem either, but there is an extremely easy fix that involves a couple of command line functions. The underlying problem is that the Windows Explorer, which displays the file directory and controls the taskbar and notification area, has been slightly confused. Restarting the Explorer is all that's needed. Several methods exist to stop the Explorer, but not all of them make it possible to restart the service. And if that happens, all you can do is turn the power off to the computer. There is a surefire way to stop and restart the Explorer service. All you need to do is open either a command window or a PowerShell window and enter a couple of commands. After the first command, the taskbar disappears and the command or PowerShell window will display a success message. The second command restarts the Explorer and the taskbar returns. After the taskbar is back, just type exit to close the window. The volume control keys and the volume control icon in the notification area will once again be functional. You'll find those commands outlined on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Windows 10 computers send data back to Microsoft. The European Union has expressed concern about what information is being sent. As a result, the company pushed a diagnostic tool out to some Windows Insider program participants late in January. Eventually, it'll be made more widely available. The Windows Diagnostic Data Viewer allows system administrators to see what the Universal Telemetry client sends back to Microsoft. Previously, this function was available only to Windows 10 Enterprise Edition users. For now, if you're in the Windows Insiders Program Fast and Skip Ahead rings, you can obtain the viewer by updating to build 17803. The viewer, when it eventually shows up on your computer, will allow you to see common data, the operating system name and version, device ID and class, diagnostic level and such, Connectivity and configuration information, device properties and capabilities, preference settings, peripherals, network information. Product and service performance data, such as health, reliability, movie consumption functionality, and device file queries. The product and service usage, software setup and installed applications, browsing history data, inking, typing, and speech data. However, the display, at least as it's currently configured, will probably do more to confuse most users than to provide any real insights. IT professionals shouldn't have any problem understanding what's being displayed, though. 
Microsoft says there is a big difference between diagnostic data and functional data. They try to explain it this way. These are Microsoft's words. Exchanging a user's location for local weather or news is not an example of diagnostic data. This is functional data that the app or service requires to satisfy the user's request. Windows collects and sends diagnostic data in the background automatically. You can control how much information is gathered by setting the diagnostic data level. Microsoft tries to avoid collecting personal information, they say, whenever possible. That's an important term, whenever possible. And it isn't always possible. If your system crashes and Microsoft receives a crash dump from the system, the dump will include documents that were active when the computer crashed. For additional information about the Diagnostic Data Viewer, see Microsoft's website. There's a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And while you're there, you might as well check out Spare Parts, because that's the only place you'll find it, right there on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, artificial intelligence continues to expand. The current hotspot is customer relations, but internal management functions are next. GoDaddy is acquiring a company that will provide branding assistance for the company's 17 million users. And the Internet now has 4 billion users worldwide. About 80% of them use some sort of social media. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.